Hey guys, it's Ash. In case you missed our announcement last week, this will be our last episode of Season 3. Myself and the team, we're taking a few months off from weekly releases to recharge and reimagine the stories and guests that we feature on the show. We'll be back from our break in just a few short months, and in the meantime, this is a great chance to revisit the back catalogue, and there's actually over 100 episodes in there, so you're bound to have missed a few along the way. Anyway, we hope you enjoy our Season 3 finale with Sky Bergman. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the show. My name is Ash Deneef. Today we are featuring a great documentary filmmaker, Sky Bergman. Sky's recent work, Lives Well Lived, focused on a cohort of 40 inspiring individuals over the age of 75 and how they're challenging the assumptions and stereotypes of later life. I had a lovely chat with Sky about her film, and there's some really warm moments in here about how sensitive and inquisitive conversations with our loved ones can allow us all to reflect and learn from their experiences. As you heard at the start of the episode, this will be our last regular release for season three. There is one more Who Cares episode for the season with Daniela Greenwood and Mori Voicey Barlin, and you can catch that this Friday. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this wonderful conversation with Sky Bergman, and we'll see you soon. Hey, Sky, thanks for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Hey, where are you calling in from today? I know you're in the States, but whereabouts are you exactly? I am in San Luis Obispo, California, which is halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Uh huh. Is that on the coast as well? It is. Luckily enough, it is. <laughs> okay. Are you in the wildfire zone or is that kind of north, north California? Uh, we do get wildfires here every once in a while. Thankfully, knock on wood, we haven't had one here per se, but we definitely have had smoke from the wildfires at times. Yeah. I've got friends in, in San Francisco and Oakland, and we went over there last summer. That was amazing. Well, not last summer. It was a couple of years ago now, but yeah, amazing place. I love it over there. Yeah. Hey, for people who, who don't know about your films and about your work, can you share a bit with us? Yeah. So I became a filmmaker when I started working on a documentary called Lives Well Lived. Up until that point, I had been a still photographer and an educator. I'm a professor of photography at the university here in um, San Luis Obispo. And I really became a filmmaker out of a love of my grandmother. And she was getting ready to turn 100 and still working out at the gym. And she had a phrase, move it or lose it, which I love. I'm sure that's not an original phrase, but, (laughs) and I was looking at approaching 50 and looking at what I wanted the rest of my life to look like and really not seeing any positive role models in terms of aging. And here was my grandmother who was an amazing role model for me. And the media just wasn't portraying that. All that I saw were things about how you could anti-aging creams and anti-aging this and that and, and how youth was better than age. And I just didn't buy that. And I wanted to show other people out there that were like my grandmother who, and that's what I wanted for my role models. So I really set about finding those people 
not knowing that I was also embarking on a filmmaking career. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. I think it kind of hit me sideways. I always used to tell my students that the more personal a project, the more universal it becomes. And I think that mm. because this project was so personal, it became a very universal message. And I interviewed um, 40 people over a four-year period with a collective life experience of 3,000 years. And at some point realized, along the way, realized that this really needed to be a feature film so that people would really see it and gain knowledge from it. And so that's kind of how I started my, my career in filmmaking. And now I've retired from teaching so that I can do my filmmaking career full time. And I'm also doing a number of intergenerational projects. And that's giving me the time to be able to do those things. Yeah, fantastic. So, so were you covering similar themes in your photography as well? Or was this a complete left turn for Lives Well Lived? complete left turn. I originally was a travel photographer, well, a fine art photographer when I went to graduate school and had lots of exhibitions and museums and galleries, and then kind of transitioned into being a travel photographer and did work for Smithsonian and Condé Nast Traveler. And then I really started getting more into my education career and became chair of the department, our art and design department here, and kind of put my whole uh, photography career a little bit on hold. And at the just about at the end of my time of being department chair was when I started working on, on this film. So I think I was looking for something else, some other sense of purpose of where, what I wanted to do with my work and, and my creative vision. And I think I've always been in some way, even though maybe not in film, but in still photography, a storyteller. I think that mm. at my core, no matter what I was doing, that that storytelling was always a part of it. So it did come out of left field, but really when I look back on the work that I've done, not as left field as I think. You know? mm. Well, Lives Well Live, it really brings this concept of storytelling right to the front as you're featuring so many interviews with, with wonderful older people who've got such rich lives to share. I, I do want to jump to that in a second, but before we do, I'm interested about the change from still photography into video. The creator in me is wondering, is that a, a hard shift to make? Like, What's the transition there? It was, that's a really good question, and it was a difficult transition because as a still photographer, it's... I don't want to say easy, but it's a lot easier to take one single image of somebody and make them look really good and, and really tell a story in one image and then write something wonderful about them or, mm. or their story. You know, after you've interviewed them, you can put something together. It's a very different thing when you're a filmmaker doing a documentary film where you're interviewing people and you're really relying on them to tell the story. So there are times that there, people's stories on paper can look wonderful, but not everyone can tell their story well. And yeah. that was something that I had to learn as a filmmaker and learn how to pull the stories out from people by the way that I asked the questions, by rephrasing things. Just it, it took a little bit of learning. We have a phrase here at the university where I, I used to teach and it's uh, learn by doing. And I did a lot of that learn by doing <laughs> in mm. terms of becoming a better interviewer and really bringing people out. And that was something that certainly was very different than doing a still photograph and, and writing up a story about someone. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I, I, my background's in music and I've done quite a few projects where you come in with these really strong ideas, but then when you're working with other people, and I imagine this is something that you experience, you just don't have the control that you thought you'd have. And it's, it's tricky, huh? 
Well, it is it because it's not just about what they say, it's about how they say it, how they emphasize mm. certain words, what kind of energy they have behind it. And that doesn't come through in the written word in the same way that it does when you're relying on somebody else to have that emphasis in what they're saying, how they're saying, not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it, what kind of mm. enthusiasm or sadness or happiness, all those emotions that come through in the way that somebody tells a story is very different when you're recording their voice versus, as you know, because you do this, versus just reading something that somebody maybe about somebody or that something somebody wrote. It's more challenging because, as you said, you're relying on that other person as part of the creative process. And, and that can, can be challenging. Sometimes it works beautifully. And you get these gifts from people when you're interviewing them and you think, oh, my goodness, that mm -hmm. was amazing. And then other times, I, I interviewed somebody one time who... I realized from the moment that I opened the door to do the interview that it just, he was never going to make a cut of the film. And yeah. I still went through with the interview because I wanted to give his family all the footage that I shot, but I, I knew he just was too monotone and dressed gray and it just was not going to work. So, you know, there are those moments sometimes that you end up leaving things on the cutting room floor, even though the story is good, just because it's not told in a way that is engaging to an audience. Yeah, I, I can relate massively. I've started interviews and be like, okay, this one's going to be a trickier one today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but you, you captured that emotion and those stories so well in the film. And I'm wondering then, you said that you, you sought out people because there's a, a lot of common themes across the people who are featured in the film. One of them is the positivity with which they are approaching there's other chapters in their lives and, and the energy they're bringing into whatever it is they love. How did you find these people? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because one of the things that I really did want to do was to focus on people that were positive because that's mm. who I wanted my role models to be. And I'm an artist. I'm not a social scientist. So I wasn't trying to take a cross section of everyone over 75. And so the way that I found the people was that I put together a little one minute clip of my grandmother working out at the gym and I put it up on Vimeo and I sent an email blast out to all of my friends, my family, all the alum that I've taught over the years that I've been at the university. So probably about a thousand people. And I said, I have this crazy idea for a project. I didn't know it was going to be a film. I said, here's a one minute clip of my grandmother working out at the gym. And if you have someone in your life that's 75 or older, who is as much an inspiration to you as my grandmother is to me, please nominate them for this project. And it was lovely because I was inundated by heartwarming nominations. And I'm sure for anyone listening right now, you're probably thinking, huh, who do I know that's 75 or older that's an inspiration? And that's mm. that was really so wonderful what people wrote about these people that inspired them. And that was the starting point for the people that I interviewed. Mm, that's great. I'm wondering if a lot of the people have undergone some sort of trauma or difficult period in their life and they've come out really positive and energized towards the end. I'm wondering if that was something that was a for the people who responded and said, you know, my grandma or my uncle, was it something about the difficulty of their circumstances that was also an inspiring element? I think that that might have been part of it. And I think that looking back on now having put together the film, you know, one of the things that I did try and highlight in each of the people that are in the film is a 
moment in their lives that was this sort of moment where they went through something that was very traumatic and how they overcame that. Because I think we can all learn from that and we can all mm. relate to that in some way. All of us, no matter how old or young we are, have lived through something that we that was traumatic to us. And so how do you overcome that and still remain positive? And I think that that was a, a really good lesson to to learn from those people from the film. And then I think for me, the other thing that they all really had in common was they had, they all had a sense of purpose. And I think no matter what age we are, we all need to feel like we have a sense of purpose. And I think mm. that's what keeps us going is when we have that sense of purpose. When we lose that, we end up stagnating and we end up not moving forward. And so whether somebody was in their 90s, as Lou Tadone was making mozzarella for his daughter's deli every morning, that was his sense of purpose. That's what kept him going. And mm. his sense of purpose changed over time from being a pediatrician to doing that. And I think that that's something to really look at is that our sense of purpose changes over time. But having that sense of purpose, that reason for being, that reason for getting up every morning, I think was also another common factor that really kept people going. And that has been something that I've really taken into my own life as well. Mm, there are so many nice moments of purpose in there. And later on in the film, there's a few people you interviewed who undergo quite a few different phases of their life. And you can see they're playing different roles for different people. And I can't remember who the lady is, but she has a project where she's trying to bring plastic, recycled plastic into the road surfaces. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you can get the sense that she's had this family life and she's been through a, a certain period in the middle, maybe an entrepreneurial period, and she's got the art stuff as well. It's really interesting to, to kind of highlight all those different aspects of who this one person has been and continues to be. Yeah, she was, uh, that was C.L. Bergman, who I'm not related to at all, but she was one of the people that I actually knew. She had nominated her partner, Ed Oaken, to be in the film. And mm. I really wanted her to be in the film. She was one of my graduate school mentors. And I was able to get her to be part of the film because I said, I want to have an environmental activist on, in the film. And mm. you are doing this work. You're an amazing artist, but you also have this other side. And she I was at a time we we're having some very frank discussions, not just for the film, but just in general, because I had known her for a lot of years. And you know, was thinking about stepping away from teaching and going into doing this filmmaking full time. And so in the film, she talks about all of her careers. And then she says, you can do it, change careers. And so yeah, I know yeah, she's yeah. saying that to me directly. Every time I see the movie, I think of that. And it's pretty, pretty wonderful. But she's, again, such a great role model of somebody who she was a nurse, then she was an artist and an environmental activist and a speaker, a mom. I mean, she did all these different things. And at different times in her life, other different things became significant and other things maybe less so. And I think that that's just the way that life evolves. And when we're younger, we don't necessarily realize that. We think we're pigeonholed into doing one thing. And it's nice to see all these wonderful role models of what, what your life could look like and that you're not ever stuck. You can always just follow your sense of curiosity. I mean, I have a little post-it over my desk that says, your decisions should be based on curiosity over fear. And mm. that's such a good reminder for me every day to follow my sense of curiosity and my sense of passion. And whenever I have done that, it has led to amazing things. That's a great post-it note. I'm going to have to put up something like that too. It's, it's a great <laughs> reminder. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey-Barlant. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back. 
and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares, where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of Aged Care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Murray, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Murray. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week, and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. Throughout the interviews, you ask a question about what makes a life well lived. And it's a really difficult question to give kind of a concise response. And everyone does their best to to say what they think it might be. But I'm left with the sense of like, well, this is what I've done and I think I'm doing okay. What I think speaks louder than their and their words is just showing how they're living and showing their approach to life. And, and maybe that's one of the, the real benefits of, of doing film as well, is that you can show things that they may not be able to articulate themselves. Exactly. And I think that one of the things that I learned early on in my learning how to become a filmmaker is that you really don't want to just have talking heads, that it's much more interesting when you have video and footage of the people doing what they're talking about doing. It's much more motivating to see, for example, Emmy Cleves, who is in her 80s at the time of the making of the film, doing her yoga practice. And, mm. you, you know, you one thing to talk about it, another thing to actually see it. And I think that that is also the power of film and video over the still images, that you feel it in a very different way. And another story, um, Marion Wolf, who was eight years old when she was rescued from Vienna, Austria during World War II to escape Nazism, and she was Jewish and probably would not have survived the war. And you see her at the age of eight years old with her little number, because they had a number for all the kids that they were rescuing, and, and, and the, the look in her eyes, and you connect with her in a very different way. Mm. You connect with that story in a very different way. And so I think that is the power of film. That is the power of storytelling through film. Mm. Yeah, with Emmy Cleves, I was seeing her leading classes and helping people in yoga. I was reminded of some very uncomfortable, sweaty experiences I've had battling through hot yoga yeah. classes. And she looks so natural in that space. So I know, it's amazing. That's yeah, fantastic. <laughs> There's one question you ask about mortality and people's own impressions of, of their mortality. What was that question like and why did you want to put that in? Well, that question actually came from a number of lunches that I had with people who were social scientists who I taught with at the university. And I said to them, I'm working on this project. Here's a list of questions that I'm thinking of. What am I missing? Mm -hmm. And that was a question that actually one of the people that taught psychology of aging class said, you know, you really should ask this question. And, and of, of course, I should have asked that question. And I, and I was glad that I took the time. I took about four months to come up with all the questions that I was going to ask everyone so that I had kind of a, a framework to start the interviews. And in fact, that was one of the most interesting questions, I think, to ask, because, of course, most of the people that I interviewed, they're closer to the end of the life than the beginning of their life. And so they have fewer years in front of them than behind them. And they're really thinking about mortality in a very different way. And one of the people that is that I interviewed for Lives Well Lived was my father, who actually was, he passed away a couple of weeks ago. And he was a geriatric physician from the time that he got out of medical school. I think that's probably one of the other reasons that I did this film, because mm -hmm. I always loved listening to his stories about his patients. But 
you know, it's funny because we don't typically talk about death in a normal conversation or mortality in a normal conversation, but somehow in the context of being an interviewer and not the daughter, I, it was easier to ask my dad that question about, well, what do you think about your own mortality? And at that point, he had already had a couple of strokes, one in his 40s and one in his uh, late 60s. And he was in a wheelchair and still practicing medicine out of a wheelchair. And mm. we had one of the best conversations that we've ever had. And because he opened up to me in a way, I think because I was asking these questions, not because he wouldn't have told me otherwise, but I just don't think I ever thought to ask that question of my dad. And in fact, when he, he had a massive stroke, which is he didn't survive the stroke, but it, it made it a lot easier. It's never easy when somebody passes away. There's always a profound loss, but it made it a lot easier because I knew what his wishes were. And I knew that he didn't want to survive another stroke. And I knew, you know, it just made it a lot easier to deal with. And I'm so grateful that we had that conversation. And I wish more people would do that because I'm now a lot more at peace with what happened and, and what we're doing for my dad and to, you know, remember him and his memorial because we had that conversation and I actually knew what his wishes were. And um, I think that's really important. And the answers were really interesting. Like Marion Wolf said, she couldn't imagine a world without her or her without a world. And it's kind mm. of an interesting thing to think about. And, you know, Evie Justison talks about she just hopes it's quick and she doesn't really want to be there when it happens. And I think the, you know, the responses were really interesting. I mean, Blanche Brown talked about she doesn't really think about it. She just really lives in the moment and she doesn't really mm. think about her mortality. And so I think different people deal with that in, in very different ways. And actually, I think different cultures deal with that question in very different ways as well. Mm. Yeah, it's great. I mean, something that we talk about on the podcast a bit, we talk about end of life and particularly mm -hmm within a residential aged care setting and, and the different things it can mean in that environment. And there can be at times this this desire to hide it from people who are older or people who are nearing the end of their lives as if they haven't thought of the <laughs> fact that their lives are going to end. It's really, it's bizarre, but it was really nice to see the different responses and that you gave these people the space to kind of, you know, interpret it in their own way and, and showcasing that. There's a full spectrum of of emotion and responses there, but giving people the chance to kind of consider that I think is really valuable. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that's really important is to do, you know, I, I interviewed 40 people, so I had a good sampling. It wasn't massive, but 40 people, still a lot of people mm. with a lot of different backgrounds. And it, I think, gave a good cross-section of answers for that question. For our listeners, a lot of them are working in aged care perhaps working directly with people or working more of a, a management setting. Can you talk about how you you got people to open up and got to share and, and created those spaces where they felt like they could, you know, reveal a bit of themselves? Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that I did was uh, in almost all the interviews, not all of them, but I would say in 75% of them where I could, I would meet with the person ahead of time with no camera gear, no recording gear, just sit down and have a conversation with them. And I would give them the questions ahead of time that I was going to ask them. Not everybody likes to do that. Sometimes people like to have them be surprised, but I felt like it was better to have the questions for them to have the questions ahead of time to really have the chance to think about them so they didn't feel blindsided. And we would just have a conversation and they would, you know, I would tell them why was I was working on this project. They could see the love that I had for my grandmother. I think that that helped 
create a bond because it was very authentic and there was nothing I was trying to get out of it. I just really was mm. doing this because it was my passion. I think when you approach something in that kind of a way, people are more open to respond and to want to be part of that. And I think all of those things really helped. And I, I would say to anyone that's out there in the healthcare industry, especially in the aging space, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is creating intergenerational projects where we can connect older adults and and especially students like that age of mm. K, like K through 12 and high school and, and college in particular. And we've been doing intergenerational projects where we show the film and then use the questions that I use in the film as kind of a, a, a springboard for those relationships to evolve. Because I think the questions that I spent, like I said, four months kind of formulating those questions, they're open-ended questions. They allow for the person who's being interviewed to open up if they want to or to not, if they, you know, really limit what they want to say or, or really expand on what they want to say. And I think for the students that participate it gives them the framework within which to start this conversation. And mm. the questions get asked in both directions. So the older adults ask the students as well. And I'm now working with corporations and healthcare providers to do the same thing be between staff and residents. Between, I mean, why not have those connections? Because when you ask those questions and you get to know somebody on that kind of a personal level, it's really easy to have a stereotype about somebody if you don't know somebody from that other group. But once you know somebody of a different age, a different race, a different religion, all those isms go out the window. And mm. so I feel like we're creating these connections and really fighting ageism one story and one connection at a time. And so I would encourage people to bring a project like this to you know your facility if you can, even if you don't bring students and bring your staff in to be part of it and, and do that. Mm. I'm, I'm interested, what do students say when you ask them what makes a life well lived? Well, it's really, it is interesting because they, that their perception of what a life will live changes after they do this project because mm. they now have talked to somebody who has a lot of wisdom. And I think a lot of them, for a lot of the students, they say that they really want family. They really want to slow down and enjoy the moments a little bit more that they sometimes gloss over those things when they're younger and they feel like having time to really appreciate things is so important. And, and that's you know, a good portion of having a life well lived, I think, for, for the students when they, after they have this experience, that, that certainly changes the dynamic of what their definition is. Mm. Absolutely. The film is, is very thought provoking and powerful. I'm wondering where can people see Lives Well Lived and, and learn more about it? Right now, it is on PBS in America, and it is available on DVD, and people can always reach out to me if they want to bring it to a facility. There's a screening fee, but people can reach out to me. My email is liveswelllived at gmail.com. And really, I would encourage people who are on, who have listened all the way to the end, you know, right. obviously you're interested in this space and interested in what we're doing. And I would encourage you to do interviews. Like I, this was my first film. If I can do it, you can do it too. Mm. And on the take action part of our website, you can actually download all the questions that I asked. You can see what we're doing with the intergenerational projects. There's even a little 12-minute um, video about best practices in terms of how to do an interview. So if you've never done it before, like me, you can have a little bit of a tutorial there. But just do it because the biggest regret that people had that I interviewed was not asking questions 
of a person that had passed away. And so, you know, you, you think you have all the time in the world and then all of a sudden you don't. And what a gift it is of what, what things you will learn if you just take the time to listen. I always say that everyone has a story to tell if we just slow down enough to take the time to listen. And we don't often do that. We're often on our devices and running all over. And it's really a gift to yourself and to that other person to take the time to slow down enough and, and just ask some questions and really listen, fully listen. Yeah, fantastic. Sky, thanks so much for your time today. You bet. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.